A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 126 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like Windu to my binks, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. So that means that basically it's my job this episode to become more serious than you and keep you from getting your freak on with a bird lady. Ooh. Or whatever the heck he did there at the end of that episode. That was like the weirdest uh, call to another beast of burden I've ever heard. I'm like, is he celebrating? And then all of a sudden they come running over the hill. Oh, that's the uh, whistle. Okay. Something like that. Uh, uh, as I said on Republic Forces Radio Network slash Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, Mies are going to get some. It's an interesting season. Uh, speaking of interesting, though, uh, before we get into the whole Clone Wars thing this time, which of course is uh, what we're going to be talking about since we talked about the previous seasons all one by one a while back, um, just it, it, consider this sort of a note to listeners to be helpful to the overall audience and the show itself. Um, we got a feedback email, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, in fact, it's actually earlier the same day we're recording this. And that feedback email basically was in response to our discussion over comments and an email that was sent in from Andrew Gilbertson that basically gave us a different perspective on the canon announcement. That was our last episode. We did a couple episodes where we talked about our thoughts and then the general thoughts of the audience, and they tended to be sort of positive on the canon announcement stuff, or at least uh, kind of wary but willing to be optimistic, or just realistically, pragmatically looking at it as, hey, it's what they could have done that was different than at least taking a wrecking ball to everything else, so we just got to live with two timelines and all. So, tend to be either sort of towards that area or towards sort of a, well, we'll see, but I have a bad feeling about this. Whereas, we never really got a point of view that was particularly negative on the whole thing and went into detail as to why. So, our last episode brought in comments from Andrew Gilbertson, who is one of our more well-spoken listeners um, who always tends to break down his arguments very, very well to try to give us a sense of where he's coming from so that even if you don't necessarily agree with where he's coming from, we can sort of see why he's saying what he's saying, which is the basis, I think, of intellectually honest debate. You put the facts out there, you put the opinions out there, but you put them out there in detail so then they can be picked apart and argued against by either side. Um, so we welcome that perspective, and frankly... We pretty much welcome just about any perspective here on the show. We recognize that Star Wars has some controversial elements to it. We'll not always agree on everything. And if we're dealing with a topic where both sides are represented or multiple points of view are represented, we're probably doing it right. 
Uh, I am one who despises the situation where you get some podcasts out there, which shall remain nameless, that which basically present their point of view, and if you don't agree with it, screw you. If they don't agree with it, um, congratulations, we on the show are going to call you names because you don't agree with our perspective. Yes, we believe this, and if you don't agree, then you are X, Y, or Z. Um, that type of thing, I think, is not the basis of intellectually honest discussion, but not productive discussion either. You just need the ability to look at different points of view and break them down. So we got a feedback email, and I want to use this as an example of how not to send feedback. This feedback, and I won't say who it was from because I have invited this person to take their invective and perhaps put it into a more logical, reasoned perspective and give us reasons why they feel like they do. So maybe it can be used in a future feedback episode as an actual point of discussion. Um, but the email basically said um, to one of us, either me, Mark, or Andrew, because that was Andrew's point of view on the previous show that we were responding to, um, said basically, so-and-so is an effing a-hole, blah, blah, blah. They should go F off because they disagree with blah, blah, blah. Basically, it was a 25-word email in which about 11% of it, if I did the calculations right, was profanity, none of which gave any detail to anything, and basically it was, you don't agree with me, so go away, doo-doo head, you're a doo-doo head, I don't like you, doo-doo head, you smell like doo-doo doo-doo head. That was basically what he was saying, except using profanity to do it. Um, that is not the kind of email that we are going to read on the show. Now, we did have one in a previous feedback episode on, I believe it was on the whole um, fangirls going rogue thing, and the way to act at conventions and whatnot, where we had somebody write in who was pretty impassioned against some of the things that were said and did use some swearing that we wound up having to tweak a little bit when saying it. It's not the profanity per se that's the issue. We can always take that and censor it as we read it so people kind of get the gist of what's being said. But if you're going to send in feedback, there needs to be some measure of logic to it some measure of reasoning to it, not just ad hominem attacks. Not, I disagree with so-and-so, so I'm going to call them names. But I disagree with so-and-so because of this, this, and this. I disagree with this point because this and this. Have you ever thought of this? If you're going to send any kind of response and rebuttal to something, then rebut it. Take the time to break it down because in doing so, you are adding to the discussion. You're adding perspective. Mm -hmm. You're taking apart an argument. I mean, if you dislike an argument, rip that thing apart. But do so in an intellectually honest, logical, reasoned fashion. Um, it does nothing to someone's argument to say, I disagree with you because you're an a-hole. Sorry, that does nothing to bolster your argument and does nothing but make those who disagree with the point of view you're trying to disagree with look petty and childish. You need to actually respond in an adult fashion. Not adult language, adult manner. So we'll see if this person decides to send an email um, with some reasoning to it. Um, I'd be happy to see that and know even if the person does and it gets in the feedback episode, I'm not going to tell you who it was because I think that's unfair to the individual who perhaps was writing in a moment of anger. But wow, how not to send an email? That's how not to send one. Profanity-laced ad hominem invective with absolutely no reasoning or explanation whatsoever. If you're going to send that, don't bother. It won't get on the show. But I guess you should feel good to get it off your chest. And I've been having that thumper rule kind of going through my mind of late because, like, you know, I, I want to react to 
reactions of other people sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should, you know, I mean, I, I got to remind myself, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, even if they disagree with my outlook on things. And, you know, right now there are a lot of people out there that are like, oh, you know, the EU's dead and it's doomed and it doesn't count. And, you know, for me, that just never sat well because I'm just like, you know, it existed. It still exists. That stuff didn't go away. I mean, yeah, they're not adding to it at the moment, but didn't mean it ceased to exist. It didn't retroactively just disappear. I don't know. So I just try not to, uh, you know, get too heated when I'm replying back. Kind of, you know, take that moment and think about it and think about it some more. Maybe write it down and set it off to the side and come back to it. And like, yeah, you know, I don't know if I should really send this. And then hit the delete button. I mean, that's what I've been doing. I don't know, just, it's kind of one of those things, and I know that this is a show that for a long time, I and mean, whether it was this show or, uh, in my case, I know people going back as far as Chrono Radio, and certainly I didn't shy away from profanity back then for a while, where it seems like one of the things that people like about this show, and I find it kind of a shock that they have to call this out, which suggests that other podcasts don't do it, is that we're not afraid of just expressing our opinions. That it That we're not the apologists, we're not the... Uh, Lucas butt kissers. We're not the Lucas bashers. We don't tend to go all out based on some kind of, of preconceived notion on something. We try to call things like we see them, examine things from different perspectives, and kind of get maybe hopefully a deeper discussion going on some aspects uh, of Star Wars, whether it's the books, the comics, the movies, whatever, as we will in this episode with the Clone Wars. But, you know, maybe that's just sort of one of these these givens. Um, I would make the argument that you could probably have taken that 25-word email and taken most, if not all, of it and put it into a tweet. Maybe we're at the point now where as a society and as a fandom, we're so used to social media and being able to make short, canned, anonymous responses, usually that are more just slapping something rather than trying to explain a perspective, um, that this is kind of what it's come to. I like to think not, because usually we get some pretty detailed, pretty thoughtful emails, um, but I wonder if what we're seeing there is just a symptom of it um and perhaps that's something that we'll see more be. of in the future that 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 actually kind of makes some sense there i mean i know i've i've replied emails to friends and stuff that were really short i'm like i could have sent that on twitter <laughs> exactly now speaking of um social media and other venues and such uh, we should note here that before we discuss our topic for this episode which will be clone war season six as you'll hear mark uh, announce here in a moment um that we do of course have the ongoing series going right now with Republic Forces Radio Network's sort of epilogue and the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable's prelude episodes that are discussing the individual arcs of the Clone Wars Season 6 or the Lost Missions as arcs instead of all at once. So if you want to look back, go to the Star Wars Beyond the Films area, the episode directory on StarWarsReport.com, and you can go back and listen to our episodes of this show talking about seasons 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, with the film lumped in with season 1. But you can also go back on republicforces.com and check out the archives of that show, which includes me, talking about episodes uh, or different arcs and episodes of The Clone Wars all the way up through the end of season 5, and then, of course, the season 6 stuff. Uh, the season 6 stuff, though, is being released as part of our Rebels Roundtable feed with exclusive new material that you won't get in the Republic Forces Radio Network feed. So if you want to check out that new show... Again, it's the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable. Go on uh, iTunes, do a search for Rebels Roundtable. You'll find it, the black and 
uh, orange logo there. Make sure it is the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable that you're going to there. You can go to feeds.feedburner.com slash Rebels Round and simply load that into your podcatching software. Note that it is Rebels Round, not Round Table. Same thing on Twitter, at Rebels Round. If you want to use the whole word, it's RebelsRoundTable.com and Facebook.com slash Rebels Roundtable for that. And Mark and I both appeared with other members of the team on an episode just recently recorded that's not released yet about the Yoda arc. Um, so bear in mind that we will probably spoil some of the, uh, the opinions that you're going to hear from us on the, that episode because we're going to be talking about that arc as part of all of this this time around. It happens to be some somewhat simultaneous coverage going on because of the two shows being developed simultaneously here. Yeah, and luckily the approach we're taking of it, I, I know for me... You know, I'm not going to have as many detailed opinions as I did in the Yoda arc for the season. I mean, there's just too many moments through, you know, each episode that when you're doing a season recap, you just really can't get at that depth that you would like to do, uh, which was really fun with when we did it with, uh, you know, Rebels Roundtable. We were able to really get into each of those episodes and just hash it out and talk about things and ponder on. And that was a lot of fun, too. But that, that is something that when when I come at podcasting and stuff like that i try not to repeat the exact same opinion i mean granted my opinions you know they they're fluid and they change but for the most part you know they stay true to themselves but i can look at it in different lights and i kind of try to take that as i consider things so in this case we're doing it as a recap Now here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we recap the Clone Wars Season 6 Lost Missions as seen on Netflix. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right. Now, this is a 13-episode season available on Netflix at this point as the only way to watch it. Although, you would expect that at some point there'll probably be a DVD or Blu-ray release of this thing. They do it with things like House of Cards that are their original series. Surely they'll do it with this. Maybe even hit us again for another complete series set all over again. Um, but we're going to take it sort of bit by bit here. Uh, in this case, we want to start out with the first four episodes, The Unknown, Conspiracy, Fugitive, and Orders, that make up what is known as essentially the Order 66 arc. And it's been a while since we saw uh, Domino Squad. Uh, we know that Domino Squad initially had heavy droid bait echo cut up in fives. And at this point, the only one that we knew at least was alive is fives. And he's an arc trooper at this point. So this is a four-episode story arc that follows the character of Fives as he winds up amidst uh, a conspiracy, essentially, as he winds up learning things that the Jedi really could use as far as the nature of the clone army and the nature of Protocol 66, later known as Order 66. And bear in mind that for this episode and others in this season, because of the canon announcement, we'll need to be looking at it from two perspectives here. Not just how it necessarily fits in with the new canon, 
being just the films and the Clone Wars with future films and Rebels to add to it with new books and such, but also the expanded universe now known as Legends, because Clone Wars does fit into both of those timelines. So I guess to start with, um, let's hit the general impressions on this one. Mark, have at it. Well, you know, for me, there were two sides to this. I was excited in the aspect that they were giving us some more details, but the details it provided, I wasn't exactly sure I was tracking it right. You know, I, I kept watching that one over and over again, all four episodes, just boom, 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 watching what happened with Fives, what Fives was discovering, this, that, and the other thing. And and I think that, you know, as a season, this is a general issue that, you know, we've talked about, you know, behind the scenes, me and you. About how, you know, you watch it the first time, it's really good. And then the more you watch it after that, the more you start to think about it, the more things don't quite line up the way you would think they do. So in that regards, you know, as a long-term Expanded Universe Legends fan, you know, looking at this and then trying to also look at it in the saga-only standpoint, it's really hard sometimes to kind of wrap my head around what I'm seeing and applying it to the other things that have came before. I mean, the EU has always gone out of its way to kind of write things in to answer things that we didn't get before well if that's all cast aside well those answers aren't there anymore and moving forward in that regard it, it gets a little tough for me because i'm like okay there are moments where the Kamoans are talking to tyrannus and when they get off the the holocom with him they're talking about jedi like they think he's a jedi and yet meanwhile they're keeping the rest of the jedi completely out of the loop and even Tyrannus is like, don't let the Jedi know. We're, we're looking for rogue Jedi. And it didn't quite line up with what I was expecting. But then as they're going, you know, you find out that that Fives is doing research into this stuff. And he's not quite getting all the answers, but he is finding out things. And some of the answers that he's been getting are kind of lies. Uh, you know, the, the Kamoans especially kind of seem like they're part of the conspiracy. Whereas originally with what I had originally thought, they weren't a part of it. They were just pawns and dupes as well but now it's like they were they were actively covering this up so it was like okay that kind of threw a, a kink in some of the legends kind of aspects of how it lines up but when i when i throw legends off to the side and set it off to the corner and i only focus on the movies and stuff i don't necessarily think that this is a suitable enough answer to explain everything i mean you know they put the chip this biological uh, chip thing in them that that looks like a tumor and acts like a tumor and they never actually tell us what was the thing that caused Tups to kick into motion. His was defective somehow, but they never say why or how. They talk about the Protocol 66. Sidious later calls it Order 66. Oh, they are the same thing. But they never tell you exactly what happens. Like, if he says the word Order 66, the tumor's gonna do like it did on Tup, and he's gonna go ape Sith crazy and shoot every Jedi around him. And even that didn't quite make sense. Like, Tup's like, he kept going on about the mission, you know, and the nightmare, and this, that, and the other thing. And, and by the time Fives is at that same moment, although Fives is has been drugged to have the same type of reactions and stuff that Tup was having, but he's babbling on about the same thing. And I'm like, what in the heck does this mean? Because the narrative that we get that we get from the characters in here, half of them are lying and half of them are purposely misleading. That being, you know, uh, uh, the Camoan scientist that was doing most of the work and Palpatine himself. But Again, when I go back to the ride, the ride was so great. It was a great ride for Fives, it, for me. You know, not for Fives himself. It sucked for him at the end. But as a fan of the Domino Squad, watching him put it all together and watching the pure panic and following along with my heart just, you know, as Palpatine sending the, you know, the the 
red guard after him and stuff. And Anakin's down there and inside the lower city with Rex and he's trying to explain everything. And, Oh man, just that journey for the character was so enjoyable, even though it ended in a way that was like, Oh God, no, you know, you didn't want that to end the way it did, but you kind of felt like it had to. So, so I, I'm mixed in that regard. Like there were moments where I was really enjoying the heck out of this, but the logic and the way the plot works together with the films, it doesn't quite work. And then you add what you've seen from the legends and the EU stuff, and it doesn't quite line up again. So I have moments of that, but, but there are also little things like the hyper tests, you know, they have these hyper tests and I was like, Ooh, what's that? And they like do it to Tup or Tup's like an agony. They do it to fives and there's no issue with fives. And another one too is, is that fives is asked to stay behind because they don't know what's wrong with Tup. It could be a virus. And Fives could be infected. Yet Rex, who was fighting the same dang battle with Tup and Rex and Fives, he gets to go back. The rest of the 501st are all carrying on like there's no problem. Like, wait, why is Fives singled out? Why does he have to stay behind? There were a lot of moments like that where I was questioning what's going on. Uh, Later they talk about, you know, uh, uh, AZ, this little droid, he's about to get his memory wiped. And he he tells Fives, you know, oh, you're going to get yours wiped too. And that was like one of those moments where I was like, ding, 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 ding. Oh, sweet. You know, the EU has given us memory wipes and things like that before. But now that we're moving into a saga where the EU is an alternate universe and not everything is going to carry over, mind wipes and things like that from stories that we've gotten in the EU aren't necessarily going to come across. So having them throw that in there, I was like, oh, sweet. So mind wipes are staying. That's still canon. You know, so I thought that was kind of cool. Little moments like that. But I I don't know. I mean, the, the whole thing about what caused the tumor to go nuts in the first place, left me still questioning so much about this episode and about the show. Yeah, I think this is a good episode, or a good arc, I guess, uh, for Fives. I mean, this very much highlighted his character. He's been one of those characters that was, you know, he's kind of like Rex. and it's a, He's a character who is introduced into this show as someone we had never met prior to the show, so you don't know where his story's going to go. And we found that with many of those characters, they're kind of expendable. And in this case, he did wind up dying as well, but they gave him enough appearances throughout the seasons that we feel something when that finally happens to him. Uh, they were unlikely to get rid of Rex, or unlikely to kill off Ahsoka. Um, but a character like Fives shows up frequently, but isn't a main character. You could do a lot more with, have a lot more freedom without risking the integrity of the show or risking potentially angering a lot of your audience here. Um, I would say that this is one of those ones where um, it plays out well the first time you see it, and it's not entirely breaking down when you go back and watch it a second time. When we went back to rewatch this uh, to then record for Republic Forces Radio Network, I didn't find that this had a lot of holes in it. It's got some, um, but it's balanced out by a lot of fun characterization. You know, we get the cool moments with Fives and uh, AZ34521189624649872134745. AZ3, um, the whole thing, you know, with, you know, well, you're known by a number. No, I'm known by a name. My name is Fives. No, five is a number kind of thing back and forth. And, of course, the memory wipe issue. Uh, uh, Was that normal? You know, for you? Yes. You know, all these great comedic moments where they take AZ3 and make him into a character that is comedic relief very much in the way that the droids were in the classic trilogy without going to that overboard, ridiculous level of Jar Jar in The Phantom Menace, for instance. You stupid little asterisk droid. Okay, then, yeah, some of the stupidity of the droids in the prequels. Um, But what we get winds up being essentially Fives as a straight man, 
Um, we follow his journey. We want to know more as he's wanting to know more. Of course, we know that Order 66 is coming. Um, though I think it's kind of funny that, in, of course, in the Legends continuity, we know what Order 66 is. It's, ironically, from the Travis novels, it lays out the exact wording that basically it's in the case that the Jedi are rising up and the Jedi are trying to take over in case of a Jedi rebellion then control drops to the Supreme Chancellor, and basically you take him out. And there's also another order, I believe it's 65, about what if the Chancellor betrays the Republic and you have to arrest him, and so forth. Makes you wonder in Episode 3, what would have happened if the Jedi had then gone to clone troopers for help arresting Palpatine instead of trying to do it themselves. Uh, if that Order 65 yeah. or whatever it was would have overridden uh, 66, would have kept it from being able to order 66 later on. Um, in this case, though, we also have the fact that in this new canon, we don't know what the exact wording is of Order 66 anymore, or what the other orders were, or if there even were Orders 1 through 65 or beyond 66. We just don't know, because that doesn't exist within that new canon. For all we know, it could be, execute Order 15. That means I want 10 McNuggets, some fries, and a Coke. <laughs> you know, maybe it's like that. Um, well, you know, I, I, I got to touch on this. There are a lot of people out there that, that they keep saying the EU got reboot, but this is prime example. Star Wars was reboot, not the EU. The EU continues to exist as it always had. Everything we thought we knew about the films has been reboot. Well, it's not so much. It's, it's just the fact that what you've got here is a lot of times what we believed that we knew about the Clone Wars was stuff that we knew through Legends slash EU material. That gave us context, but that context is now gone in reference to the new canon. For instance, I'm going through and getting some documents ready for my Star Wars Timeline Gold that I'm hoping to release a new edition of sometime in August. And as I'm going through and editing this new canon or story group canon or D Disney canon, whatever it is, timeline, relative to everything else, I'm having to, for instance, drop references to the new Mandalorians, because I don't think the term new Mandalorians versus true Mandalorians ever showed up in the show. It was simply Mandalorians and Death Watch, because the whole idea of having a faction of true Mandalorians, and that's where the Death Watch split from, that was a Legends invention from Jango Fett Open Seasons, and then later on uh, in the Essential Atlas, and so on and so on. So, yeah, there's that sense of, you know, uh, what do we know in one context versus what do we know in this other much thinner context. But I like the way that it plays out. Um, the fact that we get a measure of understanding of Order 66. We don't know exactly how it's working. Um, we're told in Episode 2 that there is special alterations being made to these clones to make them more docile. So for those that say, yeah, but if this is also in the Legends continuity, the fact that it's a chip or whatever, this bioorganic chip, that means that you couldn't see stuff happen like the clones questioning orders in Karen Travis's novels. Well, they have some that don't work, as we see with Tup here, which is cool to see him back in Kicks and some of these other characters back. Um, but we already know that Republic Commandos, ARC Troopers, at least within Legends, were said to be ones that at least as long as they weren't promoted up from a lower level, they were actually created as ARC or Republic Commando Troopers. They had more of their individuality. They didn't have as much inhibition. Maybe they just didn't have the chip in the first place. Um, there's a level at which this could be a matter of simply following orders or also having that, you know, those inhibitions taken away with that chip. Nothing's to say that you can't have both. You know, the Jedi are rising up. Follow Order 66 within your general orders. Okay, fine. But since some of the clones might be likely to want to question this order from having served with the Jedi for so long, the chip is there to help kick them into action. 
Though that raises the question of what's the chip supposed to do? That's the logic of it starts yeah. to get a little bit tricky when it comes to the chip itself. Because in theory, it's an inhibitor chip. Tufts starts to go wrong, so he tries to kill the Jedi. If it's meant to inhibit something and now it's not working, then in theory that should mean that killing the Jedi is part of their actual orders, but it's being held in check by the inhibitor chip. But if that was the case, when Fives has his removed, he should be wanting to kill the Jedi. So that can't be what it is. Yeah. It must somehow have to do with that particular order and just the fact that his was messed up instead of uh, prompting it to happen at the right time or making sure that they can't use their free will to disobey. It actually prompts it to the surface and he winds up killing um, one of these new Jedi that we meet in the episode. But it essentially gives us an answer without giving us an answer. But to me... As much as I wish we would have gotten a clearer answer, something that was a little bit more clean cut, uh, that did mesh a little bit more with previously existing continuity stuff, but certainly they didn't have to do that. Um, I think this at least opens up the door to be able to say, you know what, it's ambiguous enough that the stuff that we see in Legends with people questioning, that's fine. Could be special circumstances, could be less inhibitor chip use, whatever. Um, but at the same time, to me, when I watch episode three, it's a lot like the effect of Stover's novelization when it comes to why Anakin is all ticked off that he's not made a master, because he doesn't get access to certain access, uh, certain uh, files within the Jedi archives. That's why it's not just him being a, a baby about the fact that he didn't have the title. Well, in this case, it always seems strange to me how very quickly it's, you know, uh, execute Order 66, and they all start killing the Jedi. And granted, we don't know much in the films, at least, or even the cartoon series, really, about the clones that Kiani Mundi's working with or Ayla Sakura's working with. But Cody turning on Obi-Wan, especially after all that we get with Cody in the cartoon series now, just struck me as more and more wrong, more and more hard to believe throughout the episode. It was very much like Anakin turning to the dark side, it seems like, so quickly in Palpatine's office after sending Mace out the window. Or after uh, Palpatine sent Mace out the window. It felt like it went too fast. How does he all of a sudden start trying to kill Obi-Wan when seconds ago he was giving Obi-Wan back his lightsaber and all? Just because this order has come in, they're not questioning it. It still seems a little bit far-fetched, even if you take that Nazi always following orders type of thing, or I would, that was all I was doing. Um, this gives us a reason to be able to say, you know what? In a sense, they couldn't help themselves because of the chip. It takes away some of their individuality, and maybe the ability to make that choice, it makes them perhaps less of villains for being willing to unquestionably follow that order. But it also mm -hmm. gives us a moral out for all these characters that we really enjoyed to be able to say, oh, they're killing the Jedi, but it's not because they wanted to. Um, it makes it somewhat more palatable. And I think you can also say that it makes it more palatable for younger audiences because you don't oh, bring up yeah. the big moral issue of why did Cody just try to kill Obi-Wan? Well, it wasn't because he had to follow orders and there's a chain of command and this and that. And, well, when you're a soldier, you don't get to make those kinds of moral choices and blah, blah, blah. It's whatever he thought about it. You saw those episodes with the whole chip thing. It was basically that. So I like the ambiguity to an extent because of the, the range of possibilities it offers. But it certainly does, to me, add a layer of understanding to what happens in about the back third or so of Revenge of the Sith. Well, it gives me the impression that they're they're programmable in the in a term like droids. 
Um, you know, I, I, that's where I felt like the lies were coming from. I really don't think they were inhibitor chips at all. I think that was the lie that they sold the Jedi. I think that those were full on the program to kill the Jedi because when Tups malfunctioned, I truly, it wasn't malfunction because the Sith were like, we got to squash this. They can't find out about this. Um, and the more they found out about it, the more you were like, wait, this doesn't add up, you know, but I, I like what you're saying in that regard of how for like kids, especially, you know, I mean, well, they were, they had this chip in their head that the second it was activated, they, you know, they went ape Sith and started shooting every Jedi. Uh, so, so that makes sense. But yeah, I definitely got that feeling of, of, you know, it had something to do with, it was the program and that it wasn't actually inhibiting, but that's where it got, you know, where I felt like you really couldn't trust the Kamoans and it was like, how deep in this are they i mean it went from you know well they were just filling an order to no they they seem to know which side they're playing on well see that's the thing though it's it never seemed to me necessarily as in they were being evil per se they were kind of the the greedy corporate business people that lucas likes to fit into the clone wars and into uh the prequel trilogy we'll see that with the next arc with clovis and all it seemed more to me like they were taking tyrannus at his word Believing Tyrannus was a Jedi, but it kind of felt like, in a sense, they were looking at it as if, to use the a perspective from, like, Law and & Order and such, which is a franchise I've been watching a lot of lately, as a lot of folks know. Um, kind of like that uh, Tyrannus was sort of the internal affairs, or the internal investigations part within the Jedi, that the reason why he's saying, you know, we need this chip just in case... Jedi rise up just in case Jedi do wrong, but don't tell a Jedi about this. We're sort of like one of these, we think that one of the officers on this squad is dirty. So we can't actually openly investigate him because he'd be tipped off to it. So, hey, keep an eye on these phone calls, and if it turns out that he's dirty, we'll do something about it. It seems sort of like Tyrannus slash Dooku was setting himself up as this sort of... Uh, member of a group or individual within the Jedi who is tasked with keeping an eye on the Jedi themselves. Not necessarily that he was evil going up against the Jedi and, hey, here's a way to screw with the Jedi Order, you know, to put these chips in. He made it seem as though this was something that would be part of what a Jedi would want in their own products as a measure of safety, in a sense. I still don't buy that the Kaminoans are entirely evil in this, although their willingness to do some pretty morally... Uh, despicable things in order to keep the secrecy of that plays right into it. There is a film, oh gosh, what is it called? I've, I've only seen like a, a short clip of it, but I, I was privy to some discussions about it. I think it's called Compliance. And it's based on, I think it's a true story. It's basically you got a guy who's just a nut who pretends to be an authority figure, pretends to be like a police officer, an FBI officer or something, and convinces this restaurant's uh, uh, workers to question and hold one of their own to the point of like strip searching oh. and horrible stuff being done to her just as sort of a way of seeing what happens when people um, react to an authority figure, kind of like the, that, that whole study where you had the, you know, what happens if you have uh, college students into a prison, some act as the inmates, some act as uh, the prison guards, and after a certain amount of time, the authority figures start harming those that are supposed to be inmates, even though it was all supposed to be a setup, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder how much the Kaminoans are basically, uh, they're following this authority figure because they figure it's the right thing to do because he is presenting himself as an authority figure. And if he was there when the order was placed, or if he was part of the order being placed, or perhaps he took Sifo-Dyas' identity at one point to place the order, as perhaps Voices suggests, or not Voices, the Lost mm -hmm. Ones suggest, um, 
maybe the Caminoans in this think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, that makes sense because one of the other things I had a question of was why would they go to all that trouble to have Dooku just destroy the chips anyway when they could have had her do it? But that actually makes sense if there is a, a level of their complicity here. So we get an ending, though, and the ending is both gut-wrenching in one respect and gut-wrenching in another. In one respect, the fact that we see the death of Fives. We think it's the end of Domino Squad, but apparently uh, it was a short time later, Filoni came out on, on the Star Wars blog and said that Echo was expected to be alive. Now, uh, one of the guys behind the show at Star Wars Weekends has said that they actually had scripts ready for eight seasons worth uh, and had talked about Echo's return in an arc of those future seasons that we probably will never get to see, even as comic form or anything like that. Um, but we believe that it's the Winter end of... Winter Soldier. Now, we believe it's the end of Domino Squad. Um, and I actually saw the scene with the death of Fives and the reaction of Anakin and Rex hopelessly being able to do anything about it, uh, not being able to do anything about it, uh, in German the first time. A friend of mine who was watching these overseas, since these were premiering first in German and then eventually on Netflix in English, um, it sent me a link to a stream of it as it was playing. And, you know, even when I didn't understand what was being said except for fives fives i mean it was a powerful scene it's one of the more powerful scenes that we've gotten in the show particularly saying something given that this is essentially a secondary character not one of the mains but the other gut-wrenching moment is the facepalm of so now basically the jedi know that there's something within this programming that somehow screws things up and makes them want to kill jedi and Palpatine is writing it off as, oh, it was a parasite. Can we see the evidence on that, sir? <laughs> um, there is so much to these episodes and the talk of conspiracy and, and shock tea trying to make sure that the Jedi get answers and it doesn't just go through the Kaminoans and the government and such, that the fact that they end this episode kind of shrugging their shoulders like, oh, guess it's not a big deal then, goes to show that this is part of, and this, this will show up later in this season, this is the season that as part of the Clone Wars, this overall is basically saying, wow, the Jedi are freaking stupid. The Jedi are blind, yeah. and I know Lucas was talking about the Jedi being blind in the prequels, but holy crap! This and uh, the mm -hmm. arc that we get with Yoda at the end basically shows the Jedi pretty much deserve what they get because they keep seeing all these warning signs and seeing all these danger signs and saying, <laughs> it, that doesn't apply to us. You know, it's like, you know, if you if you see a bunch of things that say, you know, warning minefield and you go dancing your way across it and you get blown up, you've only got yourself to blame. Yeah, they definitely lost some of that golden shine this season. And I think you know, I think that's part of what was kind of rough for me, because I mean, while there were things that, that I felt like, you know, were key to the saga is as a whole to be answered. There were also moments where I'm just like, oh. Really, Yoda? Especially Yoda. There were times where I felt like Yoda just didn't fit in, but we'll get to that as we move along. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to touch on, though, uh, was, I, you know, I thought it was kind of really sad in the regards that, you know, Anakin, because he's so infatuated or, or uh, looks up to Palpatine in such a way, he couldn't even fathom the truth that Fives was telling him. I mean, even even uh, Kix got some of the details you know, and Rex was there to hear it. So I'm kind of like, had my mind going like, 
is there like a cabal of clones that are curious about this and worried about this? Like did kicks come to Rex and they talk about it afterwards and come to the conclusion like, Hey, this isn't right. You know, like, and then hearing, you know, that they were going to go up to eight seasons. I was like, Oh man, there's so much they could have done with that before moving on. Very, very true. Although, uh, I have to say I was muted and cracking up on this and trying hard not to speak over you. Um, when you said it, I talked about Anakin being infatuated initially with Palpatine. I expect someone to say, you know, hello, uh, I'm John Hansen from Dateline Coruscant. Were you coming here to see a young man? Or something like that. Uh, <laughs> that brings us into the second arc, which was three episodes this time. And these are ones that were meant to be back in season five, but they got bumped. And those are An Old Friend, The Rise of Clovis, and Crisis at the Heart, which feature the return of Rush Clovis from back in Senate Spy. We find out more about his background as having been basically raised by a family that was part of the intergalactic banking plan. And we see how essentially the Sith managed to manipulate a situation to cause Clovis to get in power at the banking clan and then have that power handed over to the Supreme Chancellor. Um, to the point where you get this this rather scary, given recent modern world events, uh, long live the banks, long live the banks type of cheer at the end. You know, this is how the free market dies, to thunderous chanting. Um, the idea, though, that Rush Clovis comes back was something that had some people shaking their heads, some people excited. I found myself kind of, eh? I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, given what we saw back in Senate Spy, the fact that he had those feelings for Padme and, and Anakin trying to pretend to just be a pilot but stepping in the way of all that and his betrayal, etc., etc. Uh, and I gotta say, I actually really like this arc. It's probably my favorite arc out of the four arcs that we get this season. Um, and most of it comes from the interactions between Anakin and Padme. The fact that you've got basically Anakin trying to forbid her from seeing him her talking about how their relationship is very strained and is built on lies, basically going back to what she said back in episode two, having them try to spend some time apart from each other, though apparently that is fixed by the end of the episode when he's, you know, saved the day. Um, and the fact that we get basically Anakin standing up for his wife and doing it in sort of a wife beater sort of way, not going after her, but going after the other man, uh, like something straight out of freaking cops. And, He's beating Clovis down, and Clovis winds up being the better man to basically cover it up so that Anakin doesn't wind up getting in trouble for it and the secret being blown. Um, in terms of the character relations and stuff that we get with this, while I'm not a big fan of the idea of, hey, the banking clan was playing both sides, and hey, now the banking clan is going to be on the Republic side, or at least manipulated more by the Republic, that kind of flies in the face of some of the stuff we saw with Legends slash EU materials, but you can just, I guess, sort of assume that it's maybe one big faction that's mostly dealing with the, the Confederacy as opposed to all of it. Um, I think that the character interactions make this arc. Um, and Clovis winds up sort of being a somewhat of a tragic figure here, trying to do what he thinks is best for the banking clan, trying to also be close to Padme without realizing at first why he can't, and winding up being manipulated into a situation where he's not the villain per se, but good luck trying to prove that to the rest of the galaxy. A very tragic tool. Yeah, I was one that I admit I skipped the five middle episodes and went right to the Yoda arc after Order 66. Because these ones, at first, I was in that same boat. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, coming back and rewatching them, though, I, I, for me, I kind of I kind of look at it as uh, the muddying of Padme's moral waters. Uh, you know, there were times through these three episodes 
where I really felt and, and I was I was rewatching it today and my wife was watching it with me. Even my wife was commenting on it that that she was acting kind of uh, I can't even think of a proper word for this. Uh, you know, W-H-O-R-E-ish. <laughs> she was she, she was acting in a way that it was perfectly proper, given her position, to act the way that she did. It was improper, based on her past, to be the one who is in the position acting the way that she did. If this was anybody other than Padme, I don't think it would have been an issue, but that's one of those times where you recuse yourself. You know, it's, it's like if you're a judge in a case, and you happen to know one of the parties or have a particularly high opinion of a particular situation involving that case, you recuse yourself and say, I don't want to put myself... In this, her argument was, yeah. well, you know, I know him, so I should be the one to do it, which is the exact opposite of what you would have hoped for, and probably what Anakin would have hoped for. Her logic holds, but in a sense, so does Anakin's. You're really going to put yourself in yeah. a position with this guy again? Last time he poisoned you, and you know he's still got feelings for you? Uh, any guy is going to have the same reaction, albeit probably not as violent as Anakin did, thinking, <laughs> why are you with him doing this, even if it's totally innocent, I may trust you, dear, I don't trust him. I think all guys would pretty much say that understanding ourselves and understanding guys in general, no matter how much we want to think of ourselves as different than most guys around us, the general thought process is, if you're a guy, you don't trust other guys when it comes to your woman, even if your woman, your <laughs> wife, your girlfriend, whoever, is someone you trust implicitly. The main reason I have no issue with my wife being around friends of hers who are male is because her being a former boxer, if they tried something, she would beat the living hell out of them. And I would be like, okay, you just got to play Anakin and Padme at the same time. But it's not a, a comfortable situation for a guy <laughs> to find himself in. Hence why it's, it's interesting that Padme does what she thinks is right and so does Anakin here. And it winds up essentially that she's left with a little bit of shadow on her record. And he, of course, goes over the top and really deserves the blame for... Uh, the more negative side of this. But you're right, it does sort of take Padme's golden image and tarnish it a little bit because she makes some decisions that seems more in benefit of what, sort of what she thinks is right for the galaxy, not what's right necessarily for the marriage. Like, she's sacrificing the possibility of the marriage, knowing what Anakin will feel about this for that greater good. And maybe that's a good thing, maybe yeah. it's not, but it, it certainly makes us feel a little bit, hmm, about Padme at times in these episodes. I felt like she was being so promiscuous all the way through it. I mean, it, there was a moment where Anakin's like, you're always in this position and you keep saying you're doing it for the Republic. And I had a vision of him walking into a dark room with Clovis and her in the sheets and her going, I'm doing it for the Republic, Annie. I mean, I just she, okay. When they finally get down to the moment where they're going to do their negotiations in like the second episode, like they go to the opera before they even do it. She's dressed in this skirt. And that was the first thing my wife picked up on. Like, wow, she's a little promiscuously dressed for business. Don't you think? I'm like, well, that's because they went to the opera first. But again, that's a date, dude. Like I, she kind of had her blinders on in such a way. And I get, I get what you're saying. Like, you know, she thought she was doing it for the Republic, but at the same time, a lot of her actions, like she's serving all the food. She's getting in front of him. And I mean, when, when Anna can walk through the door and they're about to have that kiss, it was like, dude, Padme, how could you not see this coming? I don't know. I was just like, dude, Clovis, you're such a player, you know, and played all the way around is, is a good term for him. I mean, you, you said tragic and I didn't think of him as tragic before I was rewatching it again tonight, because when I got to the end and he was talking about the fact that, you know, he, he had, uh, his parents had died on, on Mun, moon, noon, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, 
and that he was basically raised as one of them. And that now at the end, like, you know, no one understood him and he was never kind of, you know, taken for who he was originally. And he's not going to now. And that moment of sadness was kind of sad, but there was also another moment too at the end that, that kind of bothered me was the Anakin's whole, you know, I've got a robotic hand and I've got the ability to use the force, but I can't figure out how to do both of those at the same time kind of things. But there were little moments in here where I'm doing little fist pumps, you know, a green R2 unit. Woo, woo. Uh, another thing that always kind of bothered me though, too, about the whole premise of this with the banks and stuff is Palpatine as the Supreme Chancellor is legitimizing the heck out of the separatist government. He calls it a government. He talks about their Senate and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, they went from being a separatist movement to a full-on government, and you guys are just at war with them. Why again? Yeah, you got the sense here, I mean, and you also get this throughout the whole thing, that, again, the Sith are manipulating things. Um, this is all so that he can wind up getting control of the banks. Um, you know, the, the attack on Clovis, you know, Embo taking a shot at him, was to give legitimacy to his claims to Padme. Uh, Imbo wasn't there to bring them back or to stop them from escaping back to Coruscant. It was to drive them to escape to Coruscant. That basically, uh, all of this was, again, a big manipulation. This whole season, um, with the exception, I guess, of the Jar Jar arc, is very much a Sith manipulation step by step by step, which is what we get with the prequels, of course, um, but something that I think a lot of first-time viewers, if you're watching this season, uh, this series, or the films, especially the prequels, in order, you may not necessarily grab the, the first time through. But I, I would agree with you on that, that comment about the end. It's none of those endings that leave you scratching your head, wondering, well, was Anakin so caught up in the emotions of the moment, or uh, having issues with his mechanical hand? Why is it that one of them had to fall and die, Padme uh, or Clovis? Why couldn't Anakin have found a way to use the Force to save them both? Um, in fact, he was given a similar choice back on Mortis, wasn't he? Save one or the other. No, I'll save them both. In this case, you got to wonder how much was his subconscious saying, you know, he's just going to try this crap again. Might as well just let him fall. Oh, he wants to sacrifice himself. <laughs> no need to stop him. Well, and that makes sense because in the earlier scene, after he beats the heck out of Clovis, Padme, I mean, she, she practically broke up with him before that in an, in an earlier one, but she flat out tells him to stay away from me after she says, put Clovis in my room. It's like, ooh, like, you know, from the Anakin standpoint, it's like, dude, you've got a threat. She's willing to talk about the marriage being, you know, it can't work. No marriage like this has ever worked. Maybe we need some time apart. And then, and then she later says, stay away from me. Like, yeah, there's there's a part of a guy's perspective that like, hey, take that thread out. Hey, no easier time than just to let you let yourself go. Although I will say one thing that this episode or this arc does, uh, and I don't know that it's anything official, um, but tell you what, let me rewind for a second. Um, when we were doing stuff for the Essential Atlas, one of the things that when I was doing those dated battle maps for them to figure out when to put the in-universe calendar dates for like, uh, the different battles in the Thrawn trilogy or the X-Wing books and that sort of thing. And one of the things that came up was, well, how do you place the Thrawn trilogy? Uh, at what moment do you use to connect these? Because we also had the Zinge map and everything else we were doing. And it turned out that one of the key linchpins was to say, well, there's some thought that a particular scene in Tatooine Ghost is supposed to be the conception of Jason and Jaina. If that's true, then nine months after that approximately should be when their birth is, and we could use that to sort of put into place a lot of these individual events. And so that was kind of swirling in my mind anytime that we're talking about characters that are about to have children. 
And in this case, of course, Padme is about to have Luke and Leia in Revenge of the Sith. And it didn't really occur to me thinking about this here, um, but Jared Rasher, who's a listener of this show and Rebels Roundtable, popped up and presented the possibility of maybe this was in there in part in order to give Padme some cover. Because Padme is definitely showing as pregnant in Revenge of the Sith. And since she's not married, at least as far as anybody knows, except for Anakin, surely there's going to be some questions, who's the father? Is she saying that she's just going to have a child on her own, some kind of artificial insemination? Who the baby daddy? And this (laughs) being relatively close before Revenge of the Sith does open up the possibility that some would say, well, maybe the baby's father isn't Anakin. Maybe it's Clovis's child, and maybe why they don't make a big deal out of it is Clovis's sacrifice and his death here. Oh, it would be too painful to talk about him to her, so let's not bring it up out of politeness. Um, there is that possibility that this is a way of explaining away why people don't ask about Padme's pregnancy. And if there's any sense that that was part of why they put this episode where they did, then more power to them because that, I think, is a really cool cool concept. Uh, kudos to Jared Rasher for bringing that to our attention. Padme Amidala, in the case of Luke and Leia, Clovis, you are not the father. You know, another thing about Clovis that I want to touch on before we leave, though, he's a branded traitor, a known traitor, and they just let him waltz into the Republic, waltz on down to the Senate, and pitch them this big, great lie that they all just hook up and just, you know, get reeled in for and I'm just like thinking to myself, he's a traitor. What? Why are we rolling out the red carpet for a traitor? What the hell? Well, but he is also a, an official representative there of the banking clan. So I'm not sure how much there would be, uh, how much of a diplomatic incident they might create in an already troubled situation to just grab him and arrest him right at that moment. Um, there's been enough times in our real history where we've had to deal with sort of uh, people we know of as unscrupulous because it would cause a bigger issue if we didn't. So I think I'm willing to give them, give them that one. Um, that brings us to the third arc, a two-part arc, the only one where the names are simply part one and part two, and that is The Disappeared, an arc which finds basically um, Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks traveling to the planet Bardata, named, no kidding, after Bridget Bardot, um, where the Frangal cult uh, has basically started to kidnap uh, members of their ruling council, these uh, these mystics, so to speak. Um, these Degoyan masters, as they call them. Um, and they don't quite know why, except that they are supposedly trying to sacrifice their force energy to this demon of war known as Malmoral, only for us to wind up finding after we meet Queen Julia and find out that she has a romantic involvement with Jar Jar uh, from the past that they're apparently rekindling now, which is just bizarre, um, we find that actually, no. The, this Malmoral demon of war that they were supposedly sacrificing to, it was all kind of a front as they were drawing this force energy together so they could give it to, of all people, Mother Talzin, the leader of the Night Sisters that we met on Dathomir, the leader of the clan that Asajj Ventress comes from, who we've met in previous arcs, who we last saw back in Massacre, uh, and that whole ending of the season arc with Massacre and Revenge and Brothers and all that, uh, when most of her clan had been wiped out, and then she had helped rebuild Darth Maul uh, to send him and Savage Opress back into the galaxy. 
Um, she will again be reappearing after this, so she's apparently not killed here, um, just dispersed into mist again. Um, but she will appear again in Son of Dathomir, the comic series that just recently began based on other season six scripts and written by Jeremy Barlow. Um, meaning this is kind of another step in her story. Um, I gotta say, the buddy comedy stuff here worked really well uh, with Mace Windu. Seeing Jar Jar in these episodes certainly presents him in a different light, a more serious, funny light, not the goofy one. Um, in fact, he seems like the one with his head on straight more even than Mace in some cases, who seems to be blinded by his own views. And the fact that it winds up playing into the Mother Towson arc gives this pair of episodes that basically are a Star Wars retelling of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, some grounding in the broader continuity of this series and the whole continuity of Legends as well, um, that it otherwise might not have had. I would have to say that this and the Order 66 arc um, are battling for which one is my second favorite of the arcs of this season. It's quite well put together, even if it does feel like it's just kind of Indiana Jones-esque adventure flair rather than something that really needed to be part of the overall scheme of things. See, and for me, I'm, I'm opposite there. This is probably my least favorite arcs because of that. I, I felt like, you know, had they had something else that tied in, and maybe, you know, with, with the Darth Maul comic, we're going to get that resolution because I did feel like everything was a setup for Mother Talzin. Uh, you know, I mean, it, at the end, they talk about, you know, a new order will arise once she adds the living force to her power. Um, you know, and the way the living force collected, it was a green energy that went in there. And it's like, huh, well, she's always got a green energy leaking off of her. It's kind of like, hmm, is she dousing herself in this all this time or something? Uh, later, they have the scene where her and Mace are fighting and she talks about magic. And Mace replies back that magic is an illusion. But when you have the subtitles on, she says magic with a K. And he just says magic with a C. And it kind of made me stop and wonder, you know, is this again, you know, Windu's ignorance at play that he's just assuming a different type of magic than what she's referring to at all? Because she also tells uh, one of the other people, you know, she's like, I'm not a natural force wielder. I use dark magic. And to me, that just sounds like the dark side. You know, I mean, she's not using the natural force. What are, what's, what, how can I say Padme? Well, there are ways, but they're unnatural. You got to learn them from a Sith. So I mean, you know, there's that whole big thing with with well, Lucas didn't intend for them to be Force users or anything like that. And yet, I still like I'm not getting that. Like, I still see the Force at use here, but they like obviously she's using something different, or the way she's coming about using the Force is different. But it, it stopped to make me think, you know, when they talked about that whole a new order would rise. And I was just like, oh, man, could you imagine in episode seven if Night Sisters were the villains? <laughs> I'd be kind of ha I'd be kind of happy with that. Uh, you mentioned uh, Talzin disappearing at the end. Uh, you know, the thing that bothered me about that, though, is the ball gets broke and all the force stuff disappears. And Windu looks up and she's holding the last bit of it and drops it on the ground and then shrieks and disperses. And it gives you the the, the kind of feel like. Okay, the, the ball of her power is broke, so she's disintegrated. It's like, but that wasn't the case. They were going to give her that so she could join with it. So I, I was just kind of like, huh, I wonder, you know, it left me feeling very like, oh, wh wh where did she go? Because I want to know more about her. Whereas with the next episode, or not the next one, but, uh, you know, uh, the one with Trench, where Trench shows back up, they, you know, he's mentioned and they just talk about him being back. And I was kind of like, wait, what? Because. You know, same thing like that. It's like it, a lot of stuff's going to be happening off screen here, and I don't always like that. Yeah, it makes me wonder. 
they, they've given away a little bit about not just how Mother Talzin returns, or not just that she returns, but how she returns in Son of Dathomir, which makes me wonder if there is something to her basically being screeching and going into mist, if there's something different about the next time that we'll see her. Um, I don't want to mention that here because it's just right now within the solicitations of uh, the last issue, I think it is, of Son of Dathomir, one of those, uh, oops, we revealed something probably in that solicitation, our bad kind of thing like they did with one of the Fate of the Jedi books. Um, that moves us on to what is technically supposed to be the last four episodes as an arc, the Yoda arc, but maybe not really something that could necessarily be seen entirely as an arc. Um, so it probably makes more sense for us to look at the Lost One separately, and then the other stuff as a Yoda arc. The Lost One basically starts out with Plo Koon uh, and the Wolf Pack discovering a shuttle on one of the moons of Obadiah uh, that turns out to include the lightsaber of, and therefore proof of, uh, the uh, at least the presence at one point, of Sifo-Dyas, uh, who was a Jedi Master on the Jedi Council, but his views were too unorthodox, so he was booted from the Jedi Council. We find out within the episode that he was basically sent on a mission, a secret mission by Supreme Chancellor Valorum, to try to basically stop the possibility of a gang war between the Pikes and some of their other syndicate enemies. The Pikes, of course, that we met back in the uh, uh, the Darth Maul and uh, Death Watch stuff back uh, in the previous season. And this idea, basically, that uh, he's sent out there with... Uh, what amounts to uh, sort of the, the personal aid or one of the aides to Valorum, whose name was Silman. And together they wind up apparently showing up, but then being called away to a mission, an official mission, where they had to go to Felucia uh, to deal with warring clans there that are the Felucians we got from the Force Unleashed, not the Felucians that we met back previously in this series. And then they wind up basically, uh, there's, there's some confusion there because some say that he... It's him and another Jedi there, not him and a personal aide to Valorum that's there, which makes up the question, well, maybe that was Tyrannus slash Dooku, um, that supposedly he dies there and his body is cremated and sent back, but then that turns out not to be true. Apparently he was on his way back from Felucia to go back to his secret mission on Obadiah, and he's shot down because Dooku, as Tyrannus, went to the Pikes and basically gave them um, aid against their enemies uh, in return for the Pikes arranging to have Sifo-Dyas killed. And someone was with him on the ship when it crashed, and the Pikes managed to take uh, Sifo-Dyas' body uh, to turn it over as proof that he was killed. So maybe we still see some of the stuff that we saw in Legends with Sifo-Dyas' body, who knows. Um, and someone is taken basically as proof of this double cross so that if at some point Tyrannus ever were to turn on the pikes, the pikes could use Silman to blow his cover, etc., etc. And the Jedi basically at this point, over ten years later, are trying to figure out exactly what the deal is with all of this, wind up visiting the pikes, meeting Silman, finding out the truth about the death of Sifo-Dyas, and wind up in a confrontation by the end as Dooku tries to come and erase his tracks, a confrontation in which it's finally revealed uh, to the Jedi that, yes, Dooku and Lord Tyrannus are indeed the same person. Um, and again, we get this sense that, wait a second, whoa, it turns out that because Duke Sifo-Dyas supposedly was the one who ordered the clone army, but then Tyrannus was the one who got Jango Fett to be the prime clone, so Tyrannus was part of it, and Tyrannus turns out to be a Sith Lord, <gasps> the Sith had some kind of role in the creation of the Grand Army of the Republic. And the Jedi decide 
to basically sweep it under the rug and not let it be known. Um, it's an interesting episode in and of itself, and it, to me, just like the rest of the Yoda arc, it's one of those ones that when you watch it the first time, I was scratching my head chronologically a little at this one, but in general, followed these four episodes and thought, hey, that was pretty cool, man, all kinds of mystical stuff and trying to deal with the mythology of how the clone army was created. That's all cool. Um, but it's one of those things that it's fun the first time you watch it, and then it's frustrating the second time you watch it when you turn your brain on. It's fun to watch, but bad to think about. Because all four of these episodes <laughs> have so many internal logical inconsistencies with the episode, with the series, with the films, not counting Legends, just a little bit with that, that leaves me shaking my head and wanting to pull my hair out to the point where it's hard for me to look at these episodes. This arc is the worst of these four because it seems like it's just, it's all over the place. Um, starting with this episode, and we'll get into some of those specific criticisms as we go along here. So, uh, at least my first impression, cool four episodes and cool episode here, although I was kind of iffy about how the Sypodia stuff would fit in with anything else. But then as soon as I stopped and went and took a more critical look and actually started thinking about what I was seeing, it all fell apart. Yeah, that's that's the part about the lost one that, that's rough is the time frame of episode one and episode two and then all this. And, you know, if you could get past that and kind of just follow along, I, I felt it was one of the best, you know, that we got of the Clone Wars in regards of answering a needed question that the opening crawls couldn't even answer. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, they, they talk about, you know, the Sith Lord Count Dooku. Really? Why couldn't we say the Sith Lord Tyrannus? I mean, you know, they, they kept calling him Dooku all the way through it. Never once did they call him Tyrannus, and yet they should have. Even in the episode three crawl, they should have said that he was Lord Tyrannus, that somehow they found out about it, but they, they didn't. And so I was always wondering, you know, were the Jedi always just chumps? Did they never figure that out? And this answered that. And for me, I was I was grateful for that answer. That was one of those answers that I was always kind of hoping that they would give us beyond what the EU had given us. So to have that, that was cool. But again, it gives it gets that moment, like you said, you know, that that opening stuff and, and where was Sifo Dias? Was Sifo Dias actually working with Dooku for a little while before Dooku turned on him? What happened there? That's not really answered that well. But there were a lot of really cool moments in the first one. I mean, I and I, I keep looking at the lost one separate arc as well because it didn't really have much to do with Yoda. Yeah, it kicked off events and stuff with what we got, but I don't know. I just saw it as a different stand on its own one. But when they show up and they're, you know, going to the drug den of the pikes and stuff and they're smoking their spice and things like that, you know, I, I just I thought it was a really cool throw to, you know, kind of like the uh, the gangsters, you know, like the Bloods and Crips kind of style. Like they, these kind of guys reminded me of the type that like, you know, when they're done, they're just sitting around doing their drugs. They got the chicks all hanging around them and stuff. And and, you know, they're they're willing to have these backup plans and things like that. And I don't know. It was just it was kind of cool to see this this side of the underworld versus, you know, what we always seem to get. You know, you get the black sun and you get the uh, the huts with their cartels and stuff. But they're just kind of like figureheads. You never really kind of get into it. And I felt like these guys kind of got into it. You got to see what they were doing and the way that they were explaining, you know, well, Master Sifo-Dyas was here a long time ago and. I don't know. I just thought that was really cool the way that that all played together. When they get to Silman and Anakin and Obi-Wan finally get there and they're talking to him and stuff, I, God, that guy is so crazy. Uh, he gets a little food bar and he's like, I like to serve my babies. And I'm just like, dude, this guy's nuts. And then Dooku shows up. There was a moment there where I'm kind of like, you know, Dooku should have done the 
the uh, the Barisoffi. You know, choked him from behind the wall so they didn't see it because he's so, supposed to be there to cover up this trail. I mean, Sidious is pretty ticked off with him at this point, and I can get it. I mean, you know, Order sixty six was almost completely botched, and now this. Come on, Dooku, what the hell? And so Dooku gets there, and then he has that great line where Anakin's like, Dooku, I'm surprised you have the the spine to show up here. And he's like, some things are best done in person. I just, I love that. And it kicked off a great battle. And But that moment where, you know, the, the Pike leader ends up saying it was Tyrannus and Obi-Wan, you know, you just kind of, you can hear it in his voice, the clicking of the tumblers as he figures it all out. And Dooku just makes it quick work of the guy and stuff. It was just a really fun fight, really cool scene. And and again, I, it was something that I felt was crucial to the saga that, that I had been wanting to see explained in some form or fashion, whether or not they actually were able to succeed in, in delivering it in a, a flawless way. I mean, I, I would say that the way they delivered it was slightly flawed. Uh, I, I kind of get to the point where I kind of think going back to Valorum was the mistake. If, you know, I, yeah, it was great to keep the, the attention off of Sidious, but I think for it to actually have worked, Sidious had to have been in control at that time. I, I just don't see any other way. Like maybe they should have said, yeah, I was the chancellor, but I wasn't foreseeing that at that time. It was this council over here and Valorum happened to be the charge of that group. You know, because I think that was like the main thing was the fact that most of this happened during episode one while Valorum was still the chancellor and Dooku was still a legitimate Jedi or so we think. Yeah, see, that was a big part of the issue that I had. I love the final battle. Uh, the banter back and forth, yo, where he's talking to Obi-Wan, saying, you know, how, how you know, I told you everything you knew a couple years ago back on Geonosis, you know, which he basically did when he was trying to get, you know, Obi-Wan to be on his side. Um, but this is where, you know, you start looking at the episode in detail and you start having to bang your head on the desk. Um, it, from a legend standpoint, of course, there's, you know, the fact that this doesn't coincide with what we were told about the death of Sidious or the death of Sifo-Dyas before, uh, supposedly in something that was uh, from Lucas himself, um, the idea of uh, basically the last trial for Dooku to become a Sith Lord was to kill Sifo-Dyas, and he did so in a, a pitched lightsaber duel, uh, and the body winds up being taken away, of course, and then the Legends has the whole idea that maybe his body was taken and the lightsaber was given over to Grievous, etc., etc. But of course, now we find that the lightsaber was there. Uh, there wasn't a face-to-face -face battle. It was basically ordering his execution, which could still be thought of as a Sith trial. You know, find a way to kill your best bud kind of thing. I mean, that's not too bad. Um, we do have the fact that somehow Valorum is alive. But again, this version of Clone Wars is superseding, apparently, since it won't be mixed together. Um, the previous version of the Clone Wars where we saw Valorum die, or maybe we can simply say that Valorum faked his death and eventually came out of hiding when it was safe. So it makes sense for him to be there for this part. So the Legends continuity, there's probably some retcons or some ways to explain it away so that it works out okay, um, Valorum somehow being alive. But, yeah, it's, it's the time things that they have an issue with. I mean, there's tons of issues in Clone Wars with Anakin's line about my powers have doubled since we last met, Count. Well, that's lovely, but again and again they're meeting, so this means, okay, your powers have doubled in the last couple of weeks? Is that what you're saying, basically? Your powers have doubled in the last month? Um, and it does sort of ha cause you to kind of knock your head on the desk when here it's Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting Dooku together when you have that line in Revenge of the Sith, this time we will do it together, right? The whole idea that last time we fought and should have fought together and again, you dove in alone, and it cost you your arm back in Attack of the Clones. So now we need to do it together this time. Well, no, because now they have fought 
together against Dooku prior to that. So this time we'll do it together. Yeah, just like last time. Doesn't have as much resonance for that Go, line. Oh, I'll throw and, you. <laughs> um, we have the fact that, and again, internal inconsistency. We have the fact that Yoda is going to go see Palpatine while Obi-Wan and Anakin are going to go to Felucia and check out exactly what it is that was going on there in the past. It apparently takes Yoda so long, maybe he's walking with his cane, to make his way to meet with Palpatine that by the time he does that, Anakin and Obi-Wan have already gone to Felucia and conducted their entire investigation. What? Again, internal inconsistency. And then you've got the one that seems inconsistent with the films. And you hinted at this. Um, okay. So this mission... Alright, let me see if I can bear, boil this down, okay? Dooku is supposedly going to become an evil Sith Lord, according to Lucas, who gave it to the licensing folks. Uh, and yes, Lucas also had a, a bit of a hand in the Darth Plagueis novel. It was one of the things they used as a selling point in the advanced uncorrected proofs copy and the solicitation text for that book, uh, that Dooku became an evil Sith Lord after Qui-Gon died in The Phantom Menace, right? And he becomes a Sith Lord. Maybe he immediately becomes Tyrannus as a Sith Lord. Maybe he winds up having to kill Sifo-Dyas and then becomes Tyrannus as a Sith Lord. Um, the whole idea of him earning the name after Sifo-Dyas' death seems to be out the window at this point because he's named Tyrannus when he arranges with the Pikes to have Sifo-Dyas killed. So that at least is out the window. But this idea that he left the Jedi Order and then was corrupted to become a Sith after Qui-Gon's death. He was critical of the Jedi Order, Qui-Gon's death was the last straw, and he walked. Which means that, that Dooku becomes a Sith Lord after the Phantom Menace. Even if it's only days after, it is after the Phantom Menace. The mission that Sifo-Dyas went on where he wound up with the Pikes and then on Felucia and stuff, though, is ordered by Supreme Chancellor Valorum, who is in power until near the end of the Phantom Menace, and then it's Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. All right, so the only way this makes sense is that the mission to Felucia basically starts before the Phantom Menace, runs through the Phantom Menace, and therefore runs far enough after Phantom Menace that by the time they're on their way back to Obadiah for the Pikes, it's now switched over Supreme Chancellor Valorum, and Qui-Gon is dead, and Dooku is now a Sith, so Dooku is now evil and would order his friend's death. Or, the whole idea of Dooku becoming a Sith after the death of Qui-Gon and leaving the Jedi Order is crap, and he became a Sith Lord both before Qui-Gon's death and probably before he actually left the Jedi Order. Otherwise, the timing of this stuff doesn't make sense. How is Dooku a Sith and ordering his death and Valorum is Supreme Chancellor at the same time if Qui-Gon's death is what turns him into a Sith. It doesn't make internal logical sense. And that was stuff that came from Lucas, who is known from time to time to change his mind. Personally, I like the idea that Dooku might have become a Sith and still been within the Jedi Order before he left, because that certainly <laughs> makes sense of the idea of him erasing Kamino from the records because why would he have done that if he was still a Jedi when he left, except perhaps to cover up Sifo-Dyas ordering the clone army that the Jedi didn't think was initially a good idea? Um, it certainly seems to make more sense to have Dooku be a Sith before he leaves and becomes one of the Lost 20. But that's not the way it's ever been presented to us until possibly now. The, as soon as that 
internal contradiction, Valorum versus Dooku being a Sith versus the timing of the Phantom Menace, etc., etc., got into my mind, I cannot look at the Lost One and fully enjoy it, because as cool as that action sequence is at the end, I want my story to make sense. And this one, unfortunately, didn't. I wonder if Lucas changed his mind, if people on the team didn't know what Lucas had originally said about the issue, or if what we're dealing with basically is they just didn't pick up on the fact that they were telling an inconsistent story. Either way, the lost one falls apart. Yeah, I mean, maybe Dooku was already a Sith. I mean, that would definitely put a twist on things. I mean, what if, what if Dooku was trying to be a Jedi by playing the Sith, pretending to be a Sith, and he tells Sidious that, hey, you remember what happened in Legends and how I killed Sifo-Dyas? Well, that happened. But reality was, was he didn't. He actually hired someone else because he's still a Jedi. And while he needed to kill that man, he couldn't himself do it. I don't know. Like, there, there, there are ways I could try to. I'm already trying to make it work. <laughs> Quinlan Voss, a.k.a. Dooku, basically. Uh, he went to deal with the dark side from the inside and found himself corrupted. That'd be kind of cool. Hey, Luke did it. You let Keldroma did it back in Legends. So, hey, why not? Um, this brings us into the three that actually are basically the Yoda arc um, beyond the lost one. And that is Voices, Destiny, and Sacrifice. It is in Voices that Yoda winds up hearing the disembodied voice of Qui-Gon Jinn that begins this journey for Yoda to figure out how to retain his essence as a Force ghost, not just as a voice, as Qui-Gon did, uh, by traveling to multiple places throughout the galaxy. In Voices, he spends time on Dagobah, so goodbye to Lucas saying that Yoda's first time ever on Dagobah was in Revenge of the Sith which was why they wrote out some of his previous encounters on Dagobah in the EU. Goodbye to that. Now this must be his first time showing up. Um, we get a little bit of Force philosophy there, finding out basically that there is the Living Force and the Cosmic Force. The Living Force is what uh, uh, all living beings essentially create. Um, the midichlorians then uh, are our connection to the Cosmic Force that binds all things and when we hear the will of the Force, it is through the midichlorians, the cosmic force kind of speaking through the midichlorians into us. And as we die, we return to the living force. So the midichlorians are, in a sense, the bridge between the two different aspects of the force, which is done through living beings. Um, he gets sent on his mission to meet the force priestesses and such. And in Destiny, we wind up finding a planet that is one of the first, an unnamed planet, one of the first places to have life in the galaxy, if not the first place. It is the home world, apparently, of the midichlorians. It is where these geysers of life energy emerge and go out into the galaxy. Um, Yoda faces some trials there, including facing off with a ghostly, evil sort of shadow Link from Adventure of Link version of himself that is supposed to represent his hubris, his pride, his dark side that he must overcome as part of his trials. And then we finally see him travel to Moraband, Lucas basically saying that he doesn't want to call it Korriban as the Sith homeworld. He wants to call it Moraband. Why? Because he just wants to. Although uh, someone has suggested the theory, and I don't know if this is something official, um, that it may have been called Moraband instead of Korriban because Korriban sounded too close to Coruscant. Just like we were too damn stupid to be able to tell Anakin Skywalker and Anakin Solo apart. That's why he had to die instead of Jason in the New Jedi Order. But that's, I guess, a whole different thing. Um, but he finds himself on the Sith homeworld Moraban slash Korriban uh, and winds up facing off with Sith illusions uh, like what may be the spirit of Darth Bane, which is pretty cool. And then finally an illusion created by Dooku and Sidious meant to apparently break his spirit or something. 
a process through which he winds up learning a lot about the future that he apparently does nothing about, uh, and apparently is found worthy to learn from Qui-Gon the secret of retaining his essence after death. Uh, a story that is meant to show us how Yoda goes from the being that he is and the attitude he has in the prequels to being the Yoda that we meet in The Empire Strikes Back. It is a chock-full three episodes. And again, one that I think is fun to watch the first time and so cool, and you're like, my mind is blown! I want you to then sit down and turn your brain on, start thinking about it, and find that, again, the arc absolutely falls apart. Um, these last four episodes doom this season into something that at first I thought was going to be my favorite season, or tied with season five as one of my favorite seasons, and into something where a big chunk of the episodes just break down under their own weight. Yeah, I'm, I'm along the same line there. Um, you know, there, there's some aspects about the whole Moraban thing that don't bother me. I mean, you know, to me, Legends still has a Korriban. The saga only has a Moraban at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I can't, from a Legend standpoint, see Moraban being Korriban, even though it has likenesses. Because I just have a hard time seeing Bane telling his followers, hey, you remember that order I wiped out? That we took their name and all that and we rebuilt it. I want you to bury me where they bury all their people. That just never really seemed like something that Bane would do. Uh, so there's a part of me that's like, well, that was probably obviously a force vision. Uh, but, but the one thing, though, that, that again, you know, looking towards Episode 7, the thing that got me excited about this is the whole aspect of what Qui-Gon's voice was telling Yoda. That he needed to be available to guide the next generations. And... I was thinking like, okay, so you go through all this work to become a force ghost just to wave to Luke at Revenge of the or Return of the Jedi. Like that that makes a lot of sense. So obviously Lucas has got something planned with a force ghost Yoda down the way. I mean, that's I keep leaning that way. Like, why would you slip all that in? You know, I mean, because everything Legends has given us, it was always Ben's force ghost that did all the, the teaching of Luke. Yoda never showed up in Legends at all. Well, obviously, this never came forward. So, I mean, what did Lucas have planned? To me, that screams something pretty big because they flat out said, you know, you're going to be around to guide these people on in times of darkness. Like, it was kind of like, hey, guess what? You're going to be the anchor for good from here on out. We need you, buddy. We need you, little green guy. We're putting you in. You go for it, Rudiger. You go for it. I don't know. I just, it, it was weird in that regard. But it, too much of this reminded me of Mortis. There was just like way too much trying to scratch my head. Uh, I was trying to put together Lucas's own commentary from episode one where he's talking about the metachlorines and how they work with the blood and how they work with the force with what the, that episode said because that went in the face of everything Lucas himself had actually physically said. So I was like, huh, okay, all right, whatever. Um, so there was a lot of times where I just had to put my brain in in – to an idle mode and just watch what I was watching and not process it because the more I process it, the less it made sense. You know, there, I, I it might even been you, Nathan, that was talking about Metaclorins now being an STD, <laughs> you know, that everybody's managed to catch it. Uh, you know, then there's the whole aspect of what's going on with the unifying force now. I mean, I've heard of a cosmic or a greater force before in, in force philosophy threads and stuff like that. Uh, but again, it's like, how does that all fit with everything? 
you know, who were these mystics? Were they the wills? Because Qui-Gon was supposed to have learned from the wills, his technique, which again gets back to that. You know, if Qui-Gon had started learning this technique but didn't finish his training, how come he never brought it up ever to anyone? I mean, what did he decide? Like, hey, these these priestesses are part of a secret power force user group and they picked me. But I can't tell any of you Jedi. If I tell you guys, then I don't get to be part of this really cool group. And they told me that it's really important. So I'm just going to bide my time and hope nobody ever kills me before my training complete oops hey yoda guess what you're number two but you got to go through all these trials before i can actually teach you I just, there was so much of it like that it was just like what yoda gets his own little starfighter the jedi starfighter that's like a midget version and r2 gets left behind after getting to go so far and how come r2 doesn't remember any of this or yoda for that matter i mean there's a lot of things about this that kind of had me scratching my head uh, you know, and and again, when it comes to the full round on season six, I still don't think we've seen at all Count Dooku with Sith eyes. Um, and then again, for for the whole looking at season six, I, I think it, it's helped. It's helped Star Wars in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, their lack of thinking things through has hurt things. Uh, but I think because there is still the Legends universe out there, and they went to great lengths to try to fix things that the errors aren't so apparent at the moment. They may be more noticeable to people that are just now watching the films and just now watching the Clone Wars. Wait, how come so-and-so doesn't know? You know, there's little things like that that they're not jumping to my head right at this moment, but they're out there and people are just using them as, as reasons why this show should never be considered canon. Not that I'm saying that, but I'm just saying that there are those points of views out there. And I think in a lot of ways this season didn't help the arguments against those point of views. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on, really, Moraban? All right, so a lot of issues with these, and I know that there are people out there going, "No, man, these were the coolest episodes ever. You guys suck." But yeah, part of the thing for Rebels Roundtable slash Republic Forces Radio Network is to give thoughtful opinions and actually break down the episodes to give an honest critique, not to be an apologist and not to be a basher either. I think after I bring up these quite a few things here about this arc, you're probably going to look at it a little bit differently. Uh, now, the Korriban-Morban thing, I actually don't have as much of an issue with that. I think it's kind of dumb that he would just change the name. And if that really was the reason that it was a Korriban versus Coruscant thing, because Lucas thinks the audience is too friggin' stupid to be able to tell a couple different things apart... That's ridiculous. You know, wait a second, was it Luke or was it Leia? I don't know which character was which, because they both start with L! Yeah, whatever, Mr. I-can't-figure-out-if-it's-Han or Han, Leia or Leia. Yeah, exactly. Um, but suffice to say, he changes the name, but the immediately in the episode guide said, well, basically Korriban is such an ancient world that it's had different names over time and different words to refer to it, so Moraband is just another name for the place. And... That makes perfect sense. You see that actually happen in real life as well. Um, even officially, I mean, take Constantinople, Constantinople. It was Byzantium. Now it's Istanbul, and there's a freaking song about it. Um, Istanbul, Constantinople, and all that stuff. So that's not an, a big issue, and it does seem like they were going to an effort to try to make it the same place, because they even refer in the episode guide to the place where they where Yoda goes with all these... Uh, uh, old statues and such as the Valley of the Dark Lords, which is a location we've seen in various stories taking place on Korriban. So I think that was pretty cool. They decided to use it. Kind of dumb they decided to change the name, but that's just Lucas being Lucas when it comes to wanting to just change things around for what seems sometimes like just the hell of it. I had a really good idea, and then I sneezed. Now I got another one. 
I think that when it comes to uh, Darth Bane showing up, that was pretty cool. Neat that he's voiced by Mark Hamill. That was awesome. Uh, and a cool yeah. new look for the character, which could have come from any point before or after his Orbalisk armor. I don't see that as a big issue from the Legends continuity standpoint. And there is the question of whether or not it was a Force illusion or his actual spirit. But what I think is kind of cool is they are bringing back Bane. Because remember, that was something that came from Lucas to Terry Brooks that wound up making its way into the novelization of The Phantom Menace. This goes back to that whole idea of, in the Legends continuity, there's the Sith species, there's the Hundred Year Darkness, and the Dark Jedi who leave that, who wind up ruling over the Sith and become the Dark Lords of the Sith with their Sith Empire. It basically almost falls in uh, uh, the Tales of the Jedi stuff, comes back in uh, the background of what we see happening right before the KOTOR events, then comes the, the Old Republic MMO where it is resurgent, etc., etc., and then here's this new Sith Order started by Phanius slash Darth Ruin that comes to be the one that a thousand years later has Bane, and a thousand years after that winds up eventually with Vader and Palpatine, etc., etc. Um, this idea of multiple incarnations of Sith, and then of course later on you get, you know, Darth Kytus slash Lumaya and all that kind of stuff going on, and eventually the one Sith. But as far as canon is concerned right now, story group canon, D canon, whatever, this new canon... The only Sith that exists, as far as we know, is the Dark Lords of the Sith Order that includes Vader and Palpatine. So Bane is the furthest back we've seen of that order in canon at this point, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. It's cool to see them bring Bane back, saying we are going to link back to these earlier members of the Order, yet at the same time, not making direct references to anything beyond that, of course, suggests that those earlier versions that the EU created of the Sith Order um, they are, of course, uh, out of canon at this point. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so, wait, he's just a name right now, then, for all intents and purposes. There was nothing mm-hmm. Terry Brooks gave to him that, that gave any characterizations, though, right? He's the man who creates the rule of two, and that's about it. And there's not a whole lot that we know mm-hmm. about okay. him. So they could certainly add more to the character. Um, Yoda. In these, Yoda is very much, and these critiques are in no particular order, Yoda is very much like the Jedi overall. Um, just like the Jedi go, wait a second, the Sith had a, had a hand in creating the clone army, and just a little while ago we found out about that whole killing Jedi thing, maybe we should look into this. Nope, sorry, gotta you know, sweep it under the rug, that kind of idiocy. Yoda, pretty freaking stupid as well. Um, maybe Yoda at this point doesn't believe that the prophecies he sees, or the images he sees, the visions are of real future events. Okay, fine. But, if he doesn't believe these are future events, and then pretty much all of them come true, shouldn't that make him someone who in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi is a lot more believing of visions of future events? Because certainly he's seeing a lot of them that are going to come true. I mean, he sees visions of Jedi battling clones right after the Order 66 arc and the Lost One about the Separatists and Sith rolling creating them. But no, Jedi aren't going to do anything about this. Uh, an image of Shakti dying, oddly, from one of the couple versions of cut scenes of her death uh, uh, that would have appeared in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, he, he, Sidious's voice, uh, Sidious's image, seeing the scene in which the Jedi try to arrest Sidious and wind up being cut down, even with the uh, like growly thing, you know, the unlimited power, like zapping of energy. It's just, oh, there's so much that he sees in his visions and seems to do basically nothing about. And that's in his initial visions. We'll get to the final big vision stuff here in a second. Um, 
As Mark said, R2-D2 must now also manage not to bother revealing later that he knows about Dagobah in the future. Not only does he not say, hey, Luke, I know who Yoda is. I serve with Yoda. Yoda's a friend of mine. He also now say, oh, Dagobah? What? What's a Dagobah? <laughs> the fact that R2-D2 doesn't get a memory wipe at any point, supposedly, um, manages to screw up several things with the original trilogy, unless he's just really, really, really tight-lipped, uh, so to speak. Uh, and again, yes, Lucas apparently did change his mind about when Yoda's first trip to Dagobah is going to be. Now he apparently shows up here, and that's why he maybe decides it as a retirement or a, uh, a going-into-hiding-or-exile place uh, after Revenge of the Sith. Um, his battle with the Dark Yoda. Very cool, very creepy to see that evil Yoda, and the battle between them is awesome. It's, it's fun, it's exciting, it's well-staged, and then you step back and say, I'm sorry, it's not said to be his dark side. It's his pride, his hubris. Since when is Yoda, of all characters, the one with a pride problem? If anything, he's one of the characters who is least prideful amongst all the characters in the Jedi Order. Unless what they're trying to say, and some of the things that he says about it being within him, unless they're trying to say that at one point he recognized this was his flaw, and he defeated it to become the man that he is, but this dark side version of Yoda is basically trying to say that you can't ever truly get rid of it, that darkness is always within you, and Yoda needs to acknowledge that it is still there buried somewhere, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. That doesn't seem to be the, the, the flaw that they needed to have Yoda try to overcome, because it didn't seem like he had that kind of issue really all that much to begin with. The Jedi Order, yes, but Yoda? Not so much. Um, certainly, it, it would have made sense to just say it was his dark side and leave it at that. Um, okay, early on in these episodes, uh, in the first episode, Voices, right? Why does Yoda have to go on this big journey to find out basically how to save his essence as a force ghost instead of just as a voice like Qui-Gon. It's because Qui-Gon can't teach him. Qui-Gon's studies were incomplete. That's why he's just a voice, not a ghost. That's why he has to go meet the priestesses in order to eventually be able to do the whole force ghost thing. However, when it's all over with and he has proven himself to the priestesses and hasn't been taught anything yet, He's given a teacher to teach him how to become a Force ghost. But the teacher's friggin' Qui-Gon! So what? Qui-Gon was lying about not being able to teach him? Um, was there some point at which uh, Qui-Gon learned how to do this during the episodes behind the scenes so that when it's over, he mysteriously has this knowledge that he lacked at the beginning? Why did Yoda go on this journey at all if Qui-Gon could have taught him in the first place? But no, see, that's the thing. You gotta have a way to explain why Qui-Gon's just a voice, and yet Yoda will be able to somehow learn from him, as will Obi-Wan, according to Revenge of the Sith, to become a Force ghost later. Lucas didn't try to detail it in Revenge of the Sith, so he tries to shoehorn it in here as the basis of these three episodes, but it doesn't make sense. Either Qui-Gon can do it, or he can't. Which is it? If he can, there was no point to the journey, unless it was just in order for uh, Yoda to prove himself, at which point... Qui-Gon was lying at the beginning. Or, he didn't know at the beginning, and unless he somehow learned while Yoda was doing his thing, it makes no sense for Qui-Gon to be his teacher at the end. Pick a story and go with it. Um, on top of that, uh, Yoda. They say these episodes are meant to be something to help Yoda change into the character he is in The Empire Strikes Back, a more passive individual than someone who is essentially a general in the midst of fighting a war. That he learns a lot here that makes him more uh, thinking, you know, wars not make one great, and so forth. Makes perfect sense to see Yoda as a character in episodes 1 and 2 in The Clone Wars, 
and then compare him to The Empire Strikes Back, see that disconnect, and think of these episodes as the reason why he's changed. And that would be awesome if he was also changed in Revenge of the Sith. Instead of Revenge of the Sith, he's like he was in Attack of the Clones. So he's changed, but he's not changed. He's changed, but he has a hiccup for about a week because we got this other film to happen in which he has to do all these very martial things. Therefore, you know, he can put aside all those things that he has learned. He's, he can unlearn what he had learned and then relearn what he had learned after Revenge of the Sith. If you're going to change him to be ready for an upcoming appearance in a film, don't forget that there's another film still in the way that you somehow have to account for. Um, the last things that he winds up saying, um, uh, or things that we learn as we go along. Um, we learn, I think, that this really is Lucas's intent for Dooku to have been the Padawan of Yoda, not just a Padawan like Yoda trained everybody as they tried to say back uh, in Voices, but the actual Padawan, at least for a little while, to the point where they went on adventures together because Yoda recognizes the mission that Dooku talks about in that vision of the perfect present um, as a previous mention they went on to Kashyyyk where they went up to, against the Terentatech and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's fine. Of course, from a legend standpoint, that means Thames Cerulean's probably out the window unless we find some way to shoehorn in this mission uh, before Dooku winds up with Thames Cerulean as his master. Um, into the episodes, uh, one of the last things that Yoda says during his visions, there is another, or uh, that he's told, there is another Skywalker. What the f- Oh, I want to drop an F-bomb here. There's another Skywalker, Yoda! <laughs> that doesn't mean, hey, think about that, and remember decades from now, there is another Skywalker, and tell that to Luke. Um, He's because, like, Shmi died! What yeah, do you because, mean another Skywalker exactly, there is? Exactly, by that point, yes, you know there's another Skywalker eventually because of the twins being born and you help hiding them. Yes, that's good information to tell to Luke because it's a recognition that Leia is still out there. But as of this time, there is another Skywalker should have you looking very closely at Anakin's family background, what happened to his mama, and are there others out there? And you should probably be taking a look at Padme's belly. Because you already have concerns about how close <laughs> he and Padme are. She's pregnant, or about to be, and you've just been told by the Force priestesses, who apparently know everything, that there is another Skywalker. Okay, um, But that's not the least of Yoda's lack of foresight. He has these Force visions. This vision that Sidious and, and Dooku set up, that begins with Yoda and Anakin and some clones raiding the exact building in the vision that Sidious and Dooku are doing their ritual in, in real life. Call them up and say, hey, maybe you ought to check out this building. The Sith may have run, but they were definitely there. Um, oh, maybe he's writing it off as, a, as just being a vision. Fine. So he has his big vision, and amidst the vision, he's fighting Sidious. Cool stuff to see Yoda fighting Sidious, because we're going to see him fight in Revenge of the Sith. It's cool to see the lengths he'll go to to save a life, like saving Anakin, being willing to sacrifice himself for that, and so on. Maybe even sacrificing stopping Sidious to save a life, etc., etc. But throughout this vision, he's battling Sidious, and Sidious, both here and in previous visions, is shown as an old white dude in a cloak who is said to have influence over the Senate, based on stuff that we learned before and stuff that was reiterated back in The Lost Ones. So why not, when you come back from your vision, start a very quiet investigation to figure out who, with Senate uh, uh, influence, happens to be an, a creepy old white dude who might have been the guy in the cloak. Um, you even basically at this point know what his chin structure looks like. Start there! But again, Yoda gets all this information and comes back as like, Ooh, changed man I am. <laughs> and doesn't do anything with any of it. 
this arc absolutely falls apart when you start looking at consistency between its, or if you add in the lost one, consistency with itself, consistency with the rest of the series, consistency with the films. It's all flash and no substance, or better yet, it is all really, really nice flash and CG and mixed up, muddled, self-conflicting substance. Now try watching the Yoda episodes and having the kind of extreme positive reaction that a lot of folks did. I was one of you to begin with. Now turn on your brain and try again. Yeah, and that's, that is kind of where I came across at the end. You know, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it. The more I watched it, the less I felt like it was better than season five. And then I'd watch it some more and watch it some more. And I mean, still to this moment, I have watched the more, see, I want to call it the Mortis arc. I watched the Yoda arc, I'd say at least 10 to 15 times, all four of those episodes. And I still can't quite wrap my head around everything that went down in that. It just, there is a lot that was trying to come really fast and a lot of it went over my head. But at the same time, you know, I I just kind of put that little spin of disbelief on some of it and just kind of roll with it. Um, Maybe they'll tell us more. Maybe some of the stuff will tie into some of the stuff they've given us. I don't know. I mean, that gets down to how much of the original trilogy are they going to sprinkle in episode seven? Is Yoda going to be part of that or is he fall under prequel territory? And even though he was in the original trilogy, they're not going to touch him anymore. I mean, I, I don't know. That, that gets a lot of stuff. I, a part of me wants to say that, that they use this as an opportunity to seed some elements that we may see in some of these future films. But again, that could just be the legend side of me that likes seeing things tie together. And now we'll get the emails saying that we are too hard on this arc or this season. But again, as we said at the beginning, uh, we try to call them like we see them, not to be apologetic uh, and not to be the bashers either. The visuals in this season were great, and it had some solid moments, but uh, the things that usually for some reason stand out as the ones that were the flashiest and should have been the coolest were the ones that fall apart the fastest under scrutiny. Um, if that's an invalid argument, please let us know. Please explain why those issues aren't issues at all. We did have a person on the Rebels Roundtable page when I mentioned, uh, they said, you know, well, I love the Yoda arc, and I said something along the lines of, well, you're probably not going to like our coverage of it because of all the logical inconsistencies that we that we bring out about it and the fact that it just kind of falls apart and such. Um, and I listed out a lot of those same concerns, a lot of those same issues that... I just mentioned. And the response was, well, all those things had to do with the expanded universe and the legend stuff, so you're not giving it a fair shake. I think aside from the whole Moraban Koraban thing, um, little to none of those issues, unless you want to expand it off to include the Lost Ones and, and include uh, uh, the Dooku Saipadias thing, most of those concerns are issues with the episodes themselves and how they fit into themselves and logic and the films and everything. Um, I don't think this is the kind of critique that is driven by that Legends fandom. I think it's just wanting to see a consistent story. But we'd be interested in hearing your opinions on this. Um, our next episode, of course, is going to be your thoughts uh, on the canon announcement one last time, including your responses to the episode we did with Andrew Gilbertson's response to it. Um, so you can get those emails still in to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. But uh, surely we'll have another upcoming feedback episode that's not just about the canon announcement. And if you've got thoughts about uh, our thoughts on Clone Wars Season 6, well, now's the time to send them so they can be in that episode. 
That's right. You know, as we said multiple times, there are multiple points of views on what works and what doesn't with Star Wars. So, you know, we want to hear you guys. You know, we're just two opinions. And, and you know, it, that readily became apparent on the Rebels Roundtable when you're sitting there with six other people. And, you know, sometimes you all kind of think similar. And then there's one of you that thinks a little differently. And then you hear that person's point of view. And suddenly you're thinking about different things. And I, for me, that's part of the fun. You know, so let's hear it. You know, let's hear what you guys have to say. If your opinions vary... Or if they're even like ours, we want to know. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes both Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our pages. They're the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or EU or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. As Nathan said, you can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfamilies.com. And lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you guys our Audible trial. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport. You get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles and you can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen, Audible just might be right for you. And may I say, if you've been thinking about checking out those uh, William Shakespeare's Star Wars books, but the idea of Shakespearean language is kind of off-putting to you as a reader, the audiobooks that are basically audio dramas of them are excellent. So, once again, four stars beyond the films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't put us the odds. That mini rant about the Yoda arc, I will still have enough of a voice tomorrow to speak. I think we still have Halloween. This episode, we ca- <laughs> we cap a recap on the crap. Go away, doo doo head. You're a doo doo head. I don't like you, doo doo head. You smell like doo 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 head.